What's up, fellow car enthusiasts? Welcome to an episode of Behind the Boost presented by MA Performance. I'm your host, Charlie Main, and today we plan to bring you some of the behind the scenes of the automotive world. In today's episode, we're catching up with AJ from AJ's Garage in Eurocharged Minneapolis. AJ's Garage is a dealership focusing on unique car and motorcycle sales, while Eurocharged specializes in ECU tuning and performance software. Let's dive in and see how it went. AJ specializes in uh, buying and selling sports cars and luxury vehicles, um, specifically around mostly the Twin Cities, or do you guys do stuff kind of all over? I'll buy them all over. All over yeah. the U.S., yep. I sold okay. uh, 12 or 13 cars this year so far, and half of them gone out of state. Yeah, yeah. And that's yeah. kind of the thing with this sort of industry is it's not necessarily as localized as, you know, no, uh, you know, like the used car, like lower end market. But um, today, guys, just so you know, AJ is going to kind of give us a little breakdown on how he got into the industry, um, kind of a little bit about some of the cars he's owned, uh, maybe open it up for some, you know, common myths or questions about um, buying or selling a car of that nature. And then um, at the end, we're going to leave it open for a Q&A. So if you guys do have any questions uh, for AJ or about buying, you know, supercars or, or maybe something that you've heard that you'd like to have myth busted, uh, now's the chance. AJ is the expert. He'll be able to provide whatever clarity you need. So um, drop your questions in the comments. Again, we'll cycle back to those um, towards the end when we've got room for some Q&A. So um, AJ, yeah, I don't know if you wanted to just jump right in and kind of tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of how you got into things, but um, sure. that's where we're here. So Sure. Yeah, so my name's AJ Meta. Uh, you'll find me on Facebook, ajsgarage.llc.com. Um, we started unofficially probably 10 years ago. Um, I bought a Maserati. We got a good deal on it on Craigslist. <clears throat> um, that was in October. I went and took it to the dealer in spring for an oil change. And they said, oh, hey, it's a really good clean car. Are you looking to sell it? I'm like, no, I just bought the thing. Um, right. But I'm like, eh, I was and giggles you know give me a number and they gave me like a stupid number more than i um, had paid for it so i'm like well that's yeah that makes sense here you go take it so kind of light bulb clicked off on my head at that point <clears throat> so i could essentially buy a car keep it for a little bit enjoy it sell it for break even or make a little bit of money um, yeah so i started 10 years ago um i've i did a lot of vets and vipers and porsche 911s and um ctsv and Actually, the CTSV that I owned was the one that you guys built. It was the 1,200-horse oh. one. Um, so, yeah, it just kind of evolved. And then about three years ago, I decided that um, the taxes I'm paying on these kind of exotic cars is getting ridiculous with the state. And uh, <clears throat> start my own dealership, save, save money on taxes. And that was really the only reason why I started it. Um, but it kind of evolved into more um, as more people got to see the cars that I had. You know, they're always saying, oh, AJ's garage always has cool cars in it. And that's kind of where I came up with the name. It's it's not anything super fancy. It's low key and chill. It's That's how I am. So, yeah, it makes sense, though. Yeah. <clears throat> so we started AJ's garage and um, it was essentially just a way for me to buy cars, have cars, sell cars. Um, and then I did also other stuff, motorcycles. Uh, dirt bikes, um, yeah, just every car, pretty much. So yeah, pretty simple, uh, pretty simple 
I guess, uh, you know, birth story. Yeah, well, and I think a lot of people, they, you know, I know a lot of people personally in the industry who've, you know, like that's sort of on a lower end of things, they're able to, you know, get a good car on a decent deal, you know, drive it around, you know, enjoy it maybe for a season or something, and then ultimately get rid of it and not lose any money. And that's obviously for some people, if you're sitting on some cash, I mean, that's ideal. Um, I guess when it comes to, you know, like the kind of cars you guys buy and sell primarily, um, mm -hmm. you know, again, you referenced like the early days of, you know, 911s and things like that. Sure. Um, what do you guys, what are you guys seeing mostly now, like today? Is it still a lot of that same stuff or are you guys looking for, you know, bigger and, you know, better vehicles? You know, honestly, um, I would say a solid 70% of the market likes those cars that are the Vets, Vipers, 911s. Um, super sedans, you know, the AMG, the M's, the S lines for Audi. Yeah. Um, that's what sells. And to be right. honest with you, that's what I make a decent living on are those kind of cars. The exotic cars, they're fun, um, but yeah. they take forever to sell. The margins are small. Um, you've got maintenance costs on those things and that stuff. As you own the car, it adds up over time. <clears throat> now, sure. you know, the vets and the Vipers are fun to own. Don't get me wrong. Um, but having a Gallardo, uh, there's a whole level, whole new level of, of fun, you know, having one of those. So today I like to try to distinguish what I have. Um, I mean, I currently have a GTR, a ZL1 Camaro, um, and a 911. And that's, you know, they're, they're the, the cars that people can get a finance for and don't feel bad spending money on, you know, and they're easy to maintain and they're easy to have and they're easy to drive. Um, <clears throat> but doesn't mean I don't miss my Gyarados or, yeah. or whatever or McLaren. Um, so to be honest, I mean, there's, it just depends on what you're wanting and what you're willing to spend. So, yeah, no, definitely. Um, so I know one of the things that we talked about kind of going into was, uh, some of the cars other than what you currently have that you've bought and sold specifically. Um, you know, I'm curious to know how, you know, I, I know you referenced the number of cars you've already sold this year, but, um, I mean, after being in business for so long, I mean, I'm sure you've bought and sold quite a few cars. Um, yeah. I, how, what are, what is so the, I, so AJ's garage started three years ago, 2017, January. Yeah. Since I started, I've done 78 cars. So three years, um, the total amount of cars, I'm probably well over 120 cars. Um, motorcycles, I've probably had 40 or 50 of them. Um, you know, I just take them in and sell them and whatever. Um, <clears throat> I also used to work for a motorcycle dealership and I had bought well over 3000 motorcycles for them. Oh, wow. So I'm, I'm, I'm really good at buying. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a passion of mine. It's a lot of fun. Um, you meet a lot of cool people and I'm very fair with people. I don't beat them up. Um, like some dealers, you know, they'll knock them on their knees. I'm very fair with them. I don't try to make a killing off of it, but more so importantly, I need to make some money, but I also make a new friend, a new client, a new contact, whatever it may be. Now, like I, I said in the last video, car guys are, have a day job, you know, so you can have a concrete guy, you can have a, a plumber, you can have this or that. So I get to meet all these guys and then I have my good, you know, connection for whatever else I need. So, but the, uh, you know, 
getting back to how many units I've had. Yeah, 78 total. I think my exotic count would be an exotic meaning like a Lamborghini, Ferrari, McLaren, a Viper even. Um, I'm at 17, 17 of those. So oh, wow. It's it's not a huge number, but it's for an exotic, that's, that's a pretty big number for three years. So. Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, so I mean, that doesn't even count all the brokerage or consignment deals that I've done. I've oh, sure. probably got another 30 of those at least. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, again, I, I know some people who've gotten pretty into just buying and selling cars in general. And it, um, it sounds like one of those things where they're, you know, once you get good at the buying process and you start to learn how to identify which vehicles are priced correctly, um, where you could actually afford to make some money, break even at minimum, um, and maybe again, get to drive it around for a bit or whatever the case may be. Um, it sounds like it just is a matter of getting to be familiar with the platform of the vehicle that you're trying to purchase so that you know what to look for. It's just, you have more on the line when they're more expensive. Yeah, no, you're hundred percent right with the, with the cheaper cars. I mean, there's still things that can go wrong, you know, like sure. maintenance wise or um, you get a bad engine or, you know, whatever it may be. Right. With the exotic cars that gets uh, escalated a little bit more. Um, what I do is, you know, when I'm finding a car, it's not just, you know, finding a car. It's, you got to do the history search. You got to do uh, a PPI, which is huge on those cars. Um, for example, a Gallardo, they, they, they go through clutches like it's crazy. Um, yeah. On average, you can figure probably 15,000 miles every 15, you got to do a clutch. And that's like eight to 10 grand, you know. So searching for the car is one thing, but you really got to know what to look for in those certain cars. So being that I've done this for 10 years, um, I kind of know what to look for in each vehicle. And yeah. so, you know, people ask me all the time, like, hey, I'm looking for a Gallardo. I want a cheap Gallardo. That's not what you want. You want, <laughs> right. you want a well-maintained uh, Gallardo. <clears throat> so something that you're not going to buy for cheap, but then put in another $20,000 worth of clutch and maintenance and tires and brakes. And, you know, the list, the list adds up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think that's one thing is that, you know, if you aren't able to do the inspections to figure out, you know, again, where some of these maintenance items are at, especially when you're buying, you know, an exotic car, yeah. uh, when you go to replace those again, where you might've just had an oversight on a lower end car, right. If you're buying a, you know, like an 04 STI or something like that. Right. Yeah. Um, if you do a oversight and have to, you know, replace the motor, it's not necessarily as big of a deal as if you made that same mistake looking at a, an exotic car. It's obviously, I mean, very obviously a much bigger uh, problem, but it could be something as simple as like the tires are wrecked and now you got to replace those because those are expensive on cars like that. Right. Yeah, it's, it is expensive. Yeah, you, know, you got smaller tires, usually a rear bias drive, so your rears go out quicker. I mean, on average, you know, for a sports car, you're looking at 1500 bucks for a set of tires plus right. and whatever. So it's, it's not cheap, but that's one thing I definitely tell my clients is when I'm looking for cars or if they're searching for cars, like do a sample um, maintenance plan for your car. Yeah. See where the tires are at, see where the brakes are at, see where oil's at. If it needs any of that stuff, 
calculate it out, call a shop, ask them, Hey, I need to do this, this, and this. How much does that cost? You right. know, and it's not a, it's not an every year thing, depending on how many miles you drive on the car, but it's every three years. So if it's three grand every three years, that's a thousand a year. It's not really that bad, but if you throw a clutch in there, that's another 10 grand. Right. You, know, yeah. you got to amortize out the, the amounts. So, <clears throat> but yeah, doing the homework is key is absolutely key. Um, and I've had customers who have bought, again, for example, a Gallardo, um, he just bought it and the thing needed like 40 grand worth of work after he bought it and he had to pay for it. You know, he had to, he had to get it all done. So doing yeah. that PPI would have completely saved his butt, you know, and not, not getting caught in that mess. So. And PPIs aren't usually like that expensive, are they? No, I mean, um, I mean, if you go to like a exotic dealer, let's use sure. Morris, for example. I mean, I think they're like 190 an hour and it's usually two hours to do a full inspection. Sure. So call it 400 bucks. 400 bucks goes a long ways when it saves you a motor or yeah. whatever. Even um, just a clutch. Even just a clutch, yeah. And if you go to a, so like the Lamborghini, for instance, you go to a Lamborghini authorized dealer, they have the correct computers to read the codes, to read the clutch life. That's what I typically do. So if I'm buying a Lambo like from Arizona, I'll send them to um, Scottsdale Lamborghini, have right. them look it over top to bottom. You know, I have them look at underneath and do, does all the paint match, um, paint meter code, um, you know, and there's certain things I know what to look for. Like the steering is typically, they fail on them. The seals leak, control sure. on things. So like every different car, I tell them specifically, I want you to look at this, this, and this. So right. when a customer hires me to broker a car, you know, and they're asking for, uh, you know, 2010 V8 R8. Okay. Well, I know the four twos got these, these issues, you know, yeah. so I tell them, okay, so I found one, we go to the dealer. I'm like, I want you to look at the control arms. I want you to look at the shocks, um, you know, and whatever it may be, but that's kind of the, the service that I provide is it's not just finding you the right car. It's doing the homework on the history, the checks, everything making sure that when it gets here, it's as advertised and it's going to last you for, you know, a couple of years, maintenance free. Yeah. Well, it's also, yeah, exactly. Well, it's just good to know what it is you're buying exactly. Um, so that there's no surprise $10,000 clutches that come up in six months. Right. Um, so, and, and again, that's another thing too, is, you know, I, I know a lot of people, they travel even to buy lower end sports cars, but, <laughs> It sounds to me, based on just the knowledge I have of that industry, is that buying cars, you know, remotely, doing this PPI and kind of having faith in that, yep. and then you buy it, just have it delivered to wherever you are is pretty common. Um, I mean, is there any kind of like guarantee, like if it shows up and it's absolutely, you know, wrong, do you have to accept the delivery at that point? Or is it, I guess I'm just not familiar. Yeah. So hypothetically in that situation, uh, you've already bought the vehicle from the seller. You're, you've transported the car back, right? Sure. It's already you, yours. You did, it's yours. Yeah, you own the car. Yeah. Whether you went and picked it up or not, it doesn't matter. Um, I have had cars where I've had them inspected. Um, they get delivered to me and a mirror doesn't work or uh, a brake light is on or something. something's wrong. There's nothing yeah. you can do. I mean, this is part of the part of the buying process, you have to have trust in the seller that they are accurately describing the car. 
at the end of the day, you know, if you're not physically going down there, you're not going to know. So yeah. back in my early days, um, I would actually go get, so looking at a car in California, I had a dealer inspect it. Um, and then I was going to go buy it. I went down there and physically bought it in person. And sure. then I flew back home. You know, I knew the car hundred percent top to bottom when I bought it down there. And then when it came back up here, you know, there's no questions. Yeah. So, yeah. You've already seen it. <clears throat> and I think it also comes down to like, uh, I've seen this a few times where like if, if a dealer completely misrepresents a car or somebody like really scams you, like at that point, that's just a legal matter and you go after them on that right. sense. Right. And so like you do have some grounds to stand on if everyone you've been dealing with you isn't truthful, but like if it's truthful and you just miss something or whoever you had inspected sure. missed something, yeah, you're kind of just like same boat as you would be with any other car. Like, yeah. So, so a good example is I just sold a, a Huracan. Um, it was a blue one I had, it was a blue Huracan. Um, but I sent it down to the dealer as a dealer that bought it, McLaren Charlotte. And it had an issue. Um, a check engine light popped while it was in transit from here down to there. And, <laughs> you know, when I left it, it was perfect. When it was down there, it wasn't. But, you know, the, the dealer and I talked and, you know, we can't, I can't sell a car that wasn't perfect. So I stepped up, I paid the bill. It was like $900, you know, I paid the yeah. bill to fix the car. That end user is happy. The dealer's happy. Everybody's happy. Yeah, okay, I, I'm out a little bit, but it comes out of the fee, so it's not a huge deal. But for me personally, I take care of my customers. Uh, if I sold a car and had an issue, um, I bought a car from another dealer. It came here. The door was messed up. Um, a window was sagging. You know, it's like stupid little things. And I go back to them. I say, hey, you know, like, dude, like the doors, it, it came yeah. off the trailer like that. Like you told me everything was good. You know, and they didn't, they didn't step up. And sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. It comes down to, again, you have to physically go look at it. When you're spending that kind of money, that's a lot of money. You know, yeah. you want to go down there. You want to check your investment. I'm at a point right now where I don't have time to go look at these things. And if it comes here, I can fix it. It's, it's not anything hard. These cars are meant to be fixed. We can figure out, we, we can fix it. So, right. but at the end of the day, you know, it's like, especially for my customers, it's, it's, it's taking care of them, making sure they're happy. And if it costs me money, it costs me money. But my, my reputation and um, the karma aspect comes back to bite you if you don't do that. So oh, for sure. But for people, you know, if they're looking for cars, I definitely suggest you get it inspected. You physically go there and look at it. I don't, I don't even care if it's a $10,000 car or, a, um, you know, a hundred thousand dollar car. Go look at it. Right. It's your money. It's your hard-earned money. Um, you don't want to have any ifs, ands, or buts, surprises, any of that stuff. So. Yeah. No. Um, I was. Uh, no, I was going to say there's. It's also been interesting too now with you know the development of all the different people on on social media, all the different influencers in the you know car industry, mm -hmm. just switching over now to buying more exotic cars. Um, sure. you know, you've got some bigger name people who are doing that, you know, like only, yep. um, you've got some people who are even smaller names that are doing that. Um, and then people who are just like, you know, Subaru guys that now ultimately have a Lambo instead. Sure. Um, 
I think that's just kind of interesting, and I I personally am kind of excited to see what that does to that industry, uh, like the exotic car industry as sure. a whole, especially for people like you guys. Sure, yeah. I, I feel like it will be a lot more business, but I don't know if it'll be easier or more difficult. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a fair amount of exotics out there for sale, um, and one of my, my points later was that it is easy to buy one. It's difficult to sell one. It's kind of like a boat. You know, sure. <laughs> super easy to buy one. You freaking can't sell it to save your life, right? But, you know, there's a bunch out there. There's usually good deals out there. Um, I'm seeing a lot of, um, you know, like the entry-level exotics, let's call them like Ferrari 360, 430, um, sure. the Gallardos, R8s. I mean, they're, they're sub-100,000 now. And if you have good credit and you have a good job, a good-paying job, um, there's certain companies out there that will lend you um, 10 year loans, 12 year loans. Um, and the, the payments are like, for example, like a hundred thousand dollar car, you would have to do 20% down. So that's 80,000 loan. Your loan's like 800 bucks a month. I know people are spending 800 bucks a month on a yeah. Denali crew cab. You know? Yeah. You have Denali crew cab or Audi R8, you know, right. your choice, but yeah. Spend I your money where you want to. Right. You know, and the V8 R8s, I mean, they're in the sixties at this point. Yeah, I say is like, is that like that's one of those cars that even I've looked at. Like, is that becoming attainable? Like, it seems like the parts, like a lot of the parts, share with the same like all the A8 chassis. Like the motor parts crossover, suspension stuff crazy. Like it's a parts bin car from Audi. Like I look at a V8 six speed R8 and it's like forty six to sixty five grand. Like have that into some of my like Japanese sports cars. Like right. Is that it's, it's like, totally is that... affordable it's, and it's totally real, and you don't even have to go to the dealer to get parts. I mean, you got Rock Auto, you got ECS yeah. Tuning, you got, you know, any of those Audi sites. I mean, they sell all the parts. Um, I know even Lambo parts. Like I got on the Lambo of my Lambo one time. We were doing something. It literally had the Audi stamp on it. It was a control Crazy. arm. It was a control arm, and it had the Audi stamp on it. And you're just like, what the. What the right, heck, you should do the measuring and like hope that you can figure out which car it came from. And you're like, I'm gonna buy this from somebody else. And there's actually people on uh, on some of the forums that have um, Excel spreadsheets with cross reference parting: Audi part, Lambo part, same part. So that's yeah. so that that's really cool to know that the same kind of stuff that like you would see on like Nasioc and like the Subaru forums, like you see that on Lambo forums. That's cool that like people do that. And it's not just a bunch of people that'll pay whatever money it costs yep. and just drop it off somewhere. Yeah, right. that's neat. In the Lambo guys, for instance, uh, there are a lot more do-it-yourselfers out now because there's a lot more people buying these cars. Um, yep. And if you think about it, those cars were hand-assembled. They should be hand-disassembled. Um, we did a um, an e-gear pump on a client of mine's car, and the dealer wanted like $6,000. The part was $3,000. The labor took me 45 minutes to do. Hmm. How does that $3,000 work? I don't get it, you know, but they're not easy. They're not hard to work on. There's very that well was, developed. That was going to be my next question. Like, do you see a lot of like, as we get more into like the newer European cars or like even some of the newer Japanese cars, like the complexity of working on them is kind of like, I mean, you obviously are in the service background. I come from a big service background. Like there's some cars that I would just turn away and say, Hey, you should go to the dealership because they have the computers to do this in a much faster and more efficient way than I can ever do it. Like yeah. Yeah. our like, I think that a lot of the supercars from my gut feeling, kind of what I've seen, like, 
a lot of them are still based on some fairly archaic technology and like you don't need a lot of crazy stuff to communicate obviously there's like stipulations that and there's specifics that are different but like within the last 10 years it seems like even like tuning capabilities and stuff like that like it's not really crazy like it's fairly attainable you can work on it with normal tools like i mean for like a normal audi like there's still some specialty tools but it's not like something that you couldn't figure out on your own if you're kind of a a normal gearhead right yeah so for example like the porsche and we we get a ton of them in here um you don't need a fancy porsche computer we use the altel and it works perfectly fine we've got a snap on too also works perfectly fine um the lamborghini or ferrari you can do basic stuff with it, but you need um, the Lara computer for a Lamborghini, and I, f- I forget what the Ferrari one's called, but some of those stuff, like if you want to look at clutch um, engagement points or reset clutch or that any of that stuff, you need the OEM tools. And luckily in town here, we have two shops that actually have those OEM tools, so you can go to those two shops uh, should you need to, but you usually find- don't have to go to the dealer. Do you find that sticking with like the more traditional in what ones are available, like sticking with the six speed cars or seven speed or whatever, you know, the manual transmission cars, do you find, find that they're more cost effective to deal with and easier to work on cheaper to replace parts? Or is it stuff that it doesn't matter which direction you go, it's still going to be kind of expensive in its own way in the exotics or in which more so in the exotics. Yeah. So the exotics are very rarely available in manuals. Um, for example, the Lambos, you know, you're looking at 04 to 08. Yeah, I was going to say like the Gallardos and like the R8s and stuff like that or anything that shares that same kind of platform. Right. The manuals are actually more um, reliable. They, the clutches don't fail on them. Uh, and the clutches actually last a lot longer. I think double the life, actually. Um, you have stupid little quirks with the e-gear system with fluid lines and uh, pumps and relays. All that stuff is a common yeah. failure. You don't have to do it with the manual manual um, manual um you know like the vets and the vipers and the porsches those are pretty straightforward parts available pretty much everywhere yeah so yeah the manual car is far more reliable um you know i've also almost seen value rising or holding steadier with a manual car versus uh automatic cars interesting Um, yep so again garrett for example oh three uh they developed the eager system, and so you think about it: who buys a who buys a brand new Gallardo? Typically, an old guy who doesn't want to shift, right? Yeah. So they get this old, latest and greatest eager system. So a lot of those cars sold were eager. Five percent of Gallardos sold in two thousand four to eight are manual. That's a very small crazy. number. Yeah. So if you look crazy. on the market today, you'll see like usually three percent of the total listings are actual manual cars. And pricing on those cars is about $10,000 more than an equivalent e-gear car. The options can be the same. The colors can be the same. Everything's the same. It's just a manual. It's 10 grand more. Do you see that same thing in uh, the R8s and stuff like that? Like looking around like the V8 six-speed cars of those, like the the manual ones seem to usually be cheaper, but. Yeah. So actually I have a customer looking for an R8 V8 manual right now. And I found one in the comparable cars about. 58 ish yeah this guy wants 68 and he's not budging and it's i've only seen three or four of those cars manual ones i, I can't find any yeah as soon as they come up for sale they're gone you know it's, it's crazy a, it's a buyer's market on that one 
or I'm sorry, seller's market on that. Yeah. <clears throat> that is kind of neat to know that like, you know, the, I, I like a good automatic car. Like they're obviously fun, but like, there's just nothing the same as like doing it yourself. You know, um, I have a GTR and I love just putting it in drive and going, right? Yep. I can drink my coffee or whatever. Yeah. Um, you're stuck in traffic. No problem. Yeah. Then I go to the racetrack and I don't, I don't really like doing that. Then I yeah, have my one. I can, I can row gears, you know, yep. and whatever. And you have fun. I think today's, um, today's technology with the, with the, uh, call it DCT or, you know, shift to assisted cars. Yeah. They're so fast. They're so lightning fast. Oh yeah. It's so much better than anything a human right. could do. It makes sense. There's so much fun to drive. Um, it's just, I guess you, you got to make a decision. What do you, what do you, are you a hardcore manual guy or are you not? Yep. So, but I'd give either or a chance, you know? Exactly. So, we do a lot of like, I mean the, we do a lot of like the Volkswagen DSG stuff and like, yep. I've, I've had to, I've had the opportunity to spend a lot of like quality time with some of the DSG cars and like, absolutely. Like I couldn't do half the shit that car does no, for me. Absolutely. And like the, the Supra is the same way. Our, our Supra is a, yeah. it's an automatic, but it's a torque converter car. It's not even a dual clutch car. That thing works so well. I was yep. blown away at how responsive that trans was. Like yeah. modern auto trans technology is just, it's wild. Like the amount of sophistication that goes into it and like the TCM programming and just like, yep. And they'll have millions of hours into that. And yep. like, yeah, my dumb ass with like a clutch pedal and like a grip and shift is not gonna <laughs> not gonna match not the fan. It's still fun. Nope. The best shifter in the world won't shift faster than the yep. or a new one. Yep. Yep. <clears throat> yeah, I was just gonna say that it was just the other day I got to drive I was driving our shop supra and it was the transmission was just like lightning fast. Yep. Um and actually, my one of my first thoughts because I, I mean, personally, I've never driven an exotic car before, so I was kind of like, you know, that's probably pretty similar to how it feels, you know, when you're shifting gears in an exotic car. It's pretty snappy. So, or a Volkswagen GTI, or a GTI, <laughs> you know, just as tight. I'll be honest with you, um, the Gallardos and the Ferraris, or even the automatic—well, not the automatic force, but um, the Gallardos and the Ferraris—they do not shift anywhere near like how that Supra shifts. Really? Or even more. <clears throat> it's like a shift. on slower speed stuff. What's that? It's that I, I, don't, I guess I don't know if you've had the same experiences, but like uh, on a lot of the more like supercar stuff or some of the higher end stuff, especially if it's performance oriented, the slower driving and the slower shifting, yep. or like the whole car is bucking back and forth yep. and like you look like you don't know how to let a clutch out, but like right. you're really doing your fingers. And like, it's pretty wild how all of the transmission tuning is all just for like when you're wide and throttle and how fast you can make it. Yeah. Whereas this isn't that at all. Right. <clears throat> so I guess one of the things I was going to ask you, AJ is uh, out of all the different cars you've owned, you know, again, you've gotten to experience cars that I've yet to experience. And I just wonder, you know, for me, if I was ever to look into buying that, like a car of that caliber, there's so many different options um i don't really know where it is i should start i mean first off for me personally like i'm relatively comfortable driving cars around like the 400 horsepower range um so like that doesn't feel like outlandishly fast or anything to me yet but for me um what would you recommend somebody like me looks into or starts to look at when the time comes something like a, a supercar or something so what i tell sorry i'm just 
adjusting my phone here. What I tell people is uh, you should you should think of what you're going to use a car for. Some yep. people just use them for weekend cruisers. Some people want to race them. Um, some people daily drive them. So think of what you want to use them for. And then what I mentioned before is uh, once you figure that car out, figure out what the maintenance is looking like, what the common yep. failures are looking like, and kind right. of come up with a with a dollar value for all of that together. So how much for the car? How much for maintenance? How much for are you going to mod it? You know, look at mods. That's another big thing. Like you mod yep. a Corvette, eh, not so bad. You mod a Lamborghini, it's expensive. Right. So look at look at what you want to do as an end end goal project, right? Work your way backwards then, um, and then come up with a budget, and then you know you would basically look on the market to see what uh, what fits your needs. So if you want a car that's a daily driver, you want to race it on the weekends, you need to take passengers possibly, or you have little kids. Uh, yep. Nissan GTR, perfect. You know it's it's semi exotic. It's fast. It can be made fast. It's cheap to mod. Um, <clears throat> it can be daily drivable. So essentially, you just got to look into all of that stuff. Oh, and then insurance. Also look at insurance because oh, that for sometimes sure. give you a big surprise. I've had people back out of deals because they go to uh, get a, a supplement policy for their cars and insurance came back ridiculous and then they back out of the deal. So right. <clears throat> there's uh, those, those things. Um, you know, always do like a good KBB, um, what do they do? Like a review. Um, yeah. and then like, um, like a reliability review and just see, you know, how are these cars holding up after five years of being out or 10 years of being out? So there's a lot of education that you can do online. Um, watching YouTube videos of car reviews, of, you know, in R8, for example, you know, yeah. watch videos of the reviews, see what the... See what the people say. Well, you have people who do like, you know, hey, I got this R8 for the day. I'm doing a, a, I drove it for three hours. I'm doing a review of it versus, hey, I own this R8 for two years. Here's yeah. what I've had to do in the last two years. You know, yeah. and how's it been? So. Right. They're two very <clears throat> different experiences. Oh, yeah, totally. Right. So. There's there's a lot of education. And, and when somebody comes to me and asks me to, to find them, a car i ask them all the questions what color do you like what uh manual yeah. automatic what options are you looking for do you like mods do you like this that what are you looking to spend what's your end goal with it so i take all that into consideration find them the right car that's going to make them fit <clears throat> so, yeah for sure so one thing we've said a couple times uh is something to the effect of like the cheapest car may not always be the least expensive car or something to that effect. And you see a lot of people nowadays, you know, especially like R8s and GTRs, some of those, are, you know, earlier ones have come down quite a bit in price. I mean, you oh, even yeah. can see some higher mileage GTRs in like the upper 40s. Yep. Oh, he's um, buying the right really? one. Yeah, I've seen yeah, it's, yeah, I mean, if you're looking for the deal, man, you can find a, a, a clap GTR and find a way to piece it back together for pretty cheap. Yeah, I'm that guy. Give me, give me like the rock. I feel like I'm that guy too. Like, I'll figure it out. Yeah, I'm the worst well, I mean, have you had any of those experiences? I, I mean, I don't know anybody who's personally bought one like in the thirty grand range, and found it positive or negative. Yeah, um, I had a, a a friend of mine buy a, a Gallardo, and okay. he didn't necessarily get it cheap, 
but it was a good price. Um, he's, he's not local. He's out of state. Okay. Um, and he got it. He didn't do an inspection. I told him to do an inspection. He didn't. He got the car because he wanted it. He had just come into some money. So whatever. Yeah. Uh, Got the car, ran great for, I think, three months, and then it just slowly started degrading. Um, clutch, the pump system, uh, um, steering rack, just like the list just kept going on, and he was forty grand deep into that car with repairs. Oh, wow. So, I mean, it happens, you know. Um, me, personally, I bought a Corvette from a gentleman – because I was blinded by the fact that it was a Corvette, because I'm a huge Corvette guy. Um, okay. And this car was an Exima show car from 2012. Oh. So it was a Z06, like 6,000 miles on it, 2009. Um, <clears throat> I think it had like 130 grand in mods. So I'm talking like everything. Right. Wide, extra wide body, wheels and tires, brakes, suspension. SEMA car. Yeah, SEMA show car. Yeah. I saw the car. I wanted the car. I didn't care like I wanted it, right? Right. I got the car, and I spent freaking like $8,000 within like the first month of owning it because this would go wrong, that would go wrong. This Just it kept adding up. Hmm. Um, and then the last shop that had touched it just did shoddy work as well. Sure. For example, there was only, you know, the drive shaft. It was a carbon drive shaft, an aftermarket one, um, drive shaft shop. And... On the front end of the flange, it had three bolts holding it together. On the back end, it had two bolts holding it together. There's six bolts. You know, it, there's there's five bolts out of 12 bolts holding that drive shaft together. And the thing was put down 700 wheel horsepower. That's kind of the thing that I do right now is to help people to eliminate um, them to having to go through that. <clears throat> yeah, for sure. So so I guess the answer to buy a, you know, $30,000, $40,000 GTR, it's the answer is maybe if you know how to do your homework. Yes. Or like if you if you know what you're like, the GTRs are dropping price. If you buy like a 09, you know it's going to need a trans. You know it's going to need brakes. Like you know, like if you know what it's going to need and it's stuff you're going to modify. Like I'm I'm a person that modifies every nut and bolt on a car. Exactly. Like, yep. I don't. I always buy the cheapest car because I know that I'm going to replace. Like it's right. it's literally like this donor vehicle that comes to me that I'm just right. going to replace everything. Yep. So like. I'm that buyer. I'm the guy that's like, I will buy the cheapest one that has the most broken stuff that like it barely makes it on the trailer type deal because I know that I'm going to replace everything. Yeah, right. So it's like well, if you go into it with that. that, exactly. If you go into it with that, like if you know that, so if you go into those cheap GTRs knowing like it's going to need a $5,000 transmission rebuild, like yeah. if you know that stuff, it makes yeah. those deals so much sweeter because usually the people selling them, they're just trying to get out of the car. Like they just right. want to get rid of it. It's already nickel and dimed them. Like their wife is yelling at them and like is yep. like, get this out of my driveway. Like I don't want to look this anymore. So like yep. you have the buying power, right. and like that's fun for me. So here's another thing about my uh, my shop. I don't do salvage title cars. Yeah, I don't do anything with painted or accident history or any questionable history. Everything I buy is clean title, clean history. You know, and that's I do nice. all the checks. Do all the checks to to ensure that everything's good, to, everything's good. Um, and that's the same on, on customer client cars too. Brokering deals, consignment deals, I only do clean title stuff. Everybody, We're just going to see them all go to YouTubers and they're all going to put weird motors in them. Like, that's just where they're all going to end up now. Who knows? <laughs> yep. 
Who knows? So you said you uh, you said you're a Corvette guy. How do you feel about the C8 and kind of like the bridges that's crossing? And like, do you think that I, I tend to think that that 50 grand entrance price we saw this year is going to be it's going to jump up next year. It's going to jump up the year after that. And like this was just a kind of a shock and awe thing. Do you think we're going to see that car jump in price pretty heavily in the next couple of years? Is the market going to get wild on that? I think once somebody breaks into the ECU. You're going to see those cars get heavily modded. Um, yeah. I yeah. heard rumors that that car was based on a 488, like the same motor twin turbo setup. I so, wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't put it past them. Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm going to say those are going to be pretty, pretty highly um, sought after cars to modify. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> with going on next year, I mean, if GM figures out their production stuff here. Um, and I think they're still on strike. So yep. I know a lot of the guys yeah. have been, I, I think their orders have been backlogged um, or halted. Yeah. Um, so that, you know, that, that kind of, you're, you're gonna, if you have one today and you're going to sell, you're going to, you're going to make a premium, you know, you're going to pull yeah. some money. Um, once they start getting back up to production and everything, I think, I think that 56, I think, or 58 MSRP for the yeah. entry level, I think they'll stick at that. You know, because they're, they're so. going to sell a whole bunch of them. Um, but then next hopefully year, yeah, hopefully. I, I mean, I know all the 2020 slots were sold out. Oh, yeah. Now they're ordering into 2021. So that's yep. a good sign. Um, you have the Z06 variant still and the potential ZR1 variant. Yeah. Um, you know they're in the works for the Z06. And so yep. I think, you know, I think the fully loaded 3LT Z51 all the options is like 95 grand or so yeah. on the C8. You go to the Z06 variant and you're going to be like 130 for a, for a fully loaded one. Yeah. Um, whenever the ZR1 comes out, you know, 160 maybe, I don't yeah. know. But that thing's, even the Z06 and the ZR1, I mean, twin turbo V8, they're going to be monsters. I think, I think it's a, I think it's a home run for Chevy. I think they did really well with it, and to give the opportunity for any Joe Schmo to go out there and get a loan for fifty-six thousand or sixty thousand, you know, with taxes and whatever, oh, yeah. I think that's awesome. I think that's absolutely. I, awesome. Like I, yeah, I, I personally was like on the fence, like maybe I should. Like this is just it's uh, it's such a good deal that like it almost <laughs> seems like you can't yeah. go wrong because like the GTR did the same thing where like in 09 it came out. I want to say it was like a fifty-eight thousand dollar MSRP. Something like that. Yeah, but I think they had a, a huge or a, a decent markup on them. Yeah, you saw it a few times, but like you still saw like it that MSRP and now that same base GTR is like I mean ninety five hundred thousand dollars. Yep. Like it's great, and I'm curious to see if GM follows that same model or if they do stay the same. And it's it's a sub sixty grand car from the get go. Like a base sure. is that price because I think that's going to be huge because that's sure. so much car for the money. Like yeah. Hopefully I don't they think do. they will. I think I think the GTR wasn't as massively produced as you know a C8 is. Yeah. And, and it's you know it's America's sports car, so I don't right. think I don't think they do that price uh, price game. Hopefully, I, I I really hope you're right because I think that I, I want to buy one that gets really cheap in a couple of years. So <laughs> I guess maybe, maybe other people don't notice this, but for me, the rise in the modified supercar the last couple of years so like not just people doing like a set of wheels and like lowering it and a body kit like now we're seeing like underground racing has always been huge 
but seeing that they're, you know, six months to a year out on a build, you're seeing the likes of like T1 races getting into the R8s. You're seeing yep. AMS focused on the supercar more. Yep. I mean, is that, are the buyers changing? Are, is it becoming easier to modify? Well, you know, why are we seeing such a shift in that uh, market being, and like so many players coming into that where it used to be few and far between? Sure. So it's an interesting thing. Um, when you buy an exotic or a supercar, it's the excitement is there to have it. You drive the crap out of it for a year, then you kind of get bored, you know, and, and let's use a Huracan, for example, it's 610 horsepower. It's a lot of horsepower, but for a performance guy, it's not a lot, you know, it's easily manageable daily drive a Huracan. No problem. Right. Yeah. But when you have that car and then what's the next level, you know, what's the next level of horsepower? Now you're talking, you're going from a supercar to a hypercar. Right. The budget is not there, right? You know, hypercar, yeah. you're talking 500 grand, million dollars, whatever. That yeah. average owner is not going to be able to go from that jump to, to the next jump. Yeah. So what do you do? You modify it. You know, you do exhaust or you do tune or twin turbo kit, for example. So, right. you know, we've, we've had quite a few R8s, um, Porsches. Uh, we did a twin turbo. We did a Hefner kit on a Huracan. Um, top to bottom, you know, yep. and that guy, you know, he wanted, he wanted more, but what car do you go to next? But he loved his car. Right. So that's the next logical step. Now with all these companies, I mean, you got fab speed that makes exhaust. You have, like you said, AMS, alpha, uh, Dallas performance, Hefner, UGR, just the list goes on. There's so many out yep. there and everybody wants to make their name. I mean, even here at your charge, we've, We've made custom exhaust systems for the Porsche and the Mercedes AMGs, um, a couple Beamers. We hand we hand fab it here in the shop. Yeah, um, it takes a lot of time, obviously, but it's a one-off customer, one-off job. You know, to that customer, it makes them happy. Um, with the exotic stuff, you also have to remember, you have to go to sell your car and then go buy something new, and that takes time. You know, if you're yeah. financing it, you got to pay it off. You got to find a new one, get a loan. You know, just the steps take more. Yeah. If you just want just a little bit more, just a little bit more sound or noise or performance or whatever, you know, those methods are the easiest ways to go. And so actually we've seen a lot of, we've seen a lot of those jobs here. You know, we did a, the guy had a 2017 R8 V10 and that's the 560 horse. It's not the plus yep. model, but he's like, well, this other R8's got 610 horsepower. Why doesn't mine have, I'm like, well, you have a base model. He's like, well, can we make mine more? I'm like, yes, we can. You know, yeah. so we did, um, we did intakes, uh, exhaust, fab speed exhaust, and, a, and our uh, Eurocharge tune on it. And I think the thing went up to 670 horsepower. You know, oh, wow. and he was like nine day difference. He ripped it out of here. I'm like, dude, you can't, <laughs> you can't do that. Yeah. I get the excitement, but he's ripping it on the highways. And I get, I get a phone call later. He's like, dude, I absolutely love it. Like, the car is so fast and. Like, it's awesome. It's exactly what I was looking for. You know, there's little steps you can do. It's You don't have to sell the car to buy a new car. That makes sense. I mean, that that, that's, that fits right in with the same model of, you know, obviously we deal in a kind of a slightly different world, but at the same time, like, WRX's STI is like, the dudes do the yep. same thing. I'll start off and do a plug-in tuner, and then they're going to yep. do some hard parts, and then they're going to tune it, and then bigger injectors, yep. and then a bigger turn. So, like, it's the same roadmap. It's just that, like, you know, playing in different ballparks. 
So that makes, right. that makes sense. Like it's just becoming more like the gap has gotten bigger between the next steps. And so where it used to be, you could kind of jump that a little bit easier or there was nowhere to go. And that was the pinnacle. Right. Now the pinnacle is over here and you can't get to that. So you can just mess with your stuff. Right. Now. right. And like, you know, and with the STIs and EVOs, for example, there's a ton of stuff you can do to them. Like you just said, yep. you know, like bolt on stuff. Um, and the gains are, are noticeable as well, but on the big Huracan or whatever, you know, you do an exhaust and it's like, okay, maybe it's like 30, 40 horsepower. You can't yep. do injectors. You can't do, and by intakes, I mean air filter upgrade because you can't change yep. the intake setup. Right. Yeah. Everything is optimally designed on them already and they're already pretty much strung out. So, yeah. You know, with the vets, for example, I mean, yeah, money's a limit. How crazy do you want to go? Lambos, I guess the same thing, but you just added a zero to your to your bill. Um, so it, it really depends on the person. Again, like, what is their goal? What is their end goal? Yeah. How much do you want to spend? Yeah. Yeah. Ten, 10 years ago, so my first sports car was a C5 Corvette, and I had a race motor, a Le Mans race motor in my car. C5R is 427. That car made 550 wheel horsepower. So this yep. was... I'm sorry, this was 10 years ago. This was 20 years ago. Talk about aging myself. Um, so 2000, 2000, 2002 time frame, 550 yep. horsepower back then was a lot of horsepower. Right, you were king of the streets. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I went to Texas 2K in 2010 with that car. Um, and we, we were like on spray, we were like 750 horsepower. And I was not king king over there, but kind of, yeah. you know, upper middle level. Now yeah. you go to Texas oh, no. 2K and it's like, if you don't have 1,500 wheel. Just leave in the trailer. Yeah. Just throw it back in the trailer. Yeah. yeah. And it's crazy. You know, and um, I mean, you see some, you see at Texas 2K, the cars that are doing the rolling, um, roll racing. Those are, you know, UGR's got 3,500 horsepower, 2,500 horsepower. The GTRs are even 1,500 to 2,000 wheel. And, yeah. and they're just, they're drivers, you know. They're, and they're yeah, it, yeah it's like pulling, pulling to your streetcars basically on a lot of these and like yeah i remember the first thousand horsepower like advertised car it was like a muscle mustangs and fast forwards magazine in like the early 2000s maybe mid 2000s like twin turbo small block forward like this thing made a thousand one horsepower and like this was the craziest like, like, ah. this was yeah this was the unobtainium like you you couldn't even like you couldn't even fathom having that and now it's like eh. Yeah, like I can buy a turbo kit that's like on the shelf at a lot of retailers for my GTR that I can bolt right in and it's done in like three days. Makes that I can go to the gas station and nothing crazy. Yep, and it's that like I mean I think the the advancement of ECU technology and like tuning and the platforms that you can service those like yep. the rapid advancement of that plays such a big role because if you can't tune it you can't keep it together. Sure. Yeah. Right. Cobb did the same thing for the Subaru market like. I think Cobb put so many advancements into that so rapidly that we were able to push those cars further than people kind of thought you ever could in very simple, uh, simple ways. Yeah. Do you think there's a limit? Like, do you think like at yeah. some point we just like we can't go any farther? I thought 2,000 wheel horsepower was a plateau, but obviously I've been wrong. So who knows? How do you who knows? You getting anybody uh, asking about electric cars? So like any of the electric crazy stuff like are you starting to see people get interested in that is that uh are people yeah. still kind of timid and scared of that or 
How are you seeing the electric? I sold two uh, two Teslas, two P90Ds. Um, I've had people request me to buy them some. Um, the way that Tesla runs their whole program, it's kind of just conducive for the, the end user to go directly to them, not yeah. have to do anything. Yeah. Um, obviously, we're not modding them. Um, people, I feel, who own Teslas, they're, they're logically thinking, you know, they're economical. They're not spending money. They're not wasting money. You know, I, but I also don't think they're car enthusiasts either. You know, so that's what's curious. Like if you're getting it from people that just they're buying it because it exists and because it's almost a, not even a status symbol, but it's just it's a marker of who they are as a person, less than somebody yeah. that like is going to put their draggy on the dash and go out and see how fast they can make it immediately. Right. Like, I think it's a different market. Um, to be honest with you, it, the performance guys like I would have one as a daily driver just because I think they're really cool. The tech in them is really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Don't have to stop to fill up fuel. Get home, plug it in, be done with it, whatever, you know? So I think they're cool cars. I don't, uh, I just don't, I just don't do a lot of them, to be honest. Yeah, makes sense. You know, and I think the technology is evolving on those as well. And we'll, you know, if they can get the range up and then get the, um, how they react in the wintertime, because when it's super cold, the batteries go kaput. Yeah. You can't even drive the damn thing. You know, it's, and if that's your only method of transportation, you're kind of you're kind of stuck. So yeah, you know, they're, they're I'm sure they're working on efficiencies and uh, evolving the the platform. So makes sense. I think I think it's good. I mean, I think the economy, I think the world, I think nature needs less emissions uh, polluting vehicles, kind of like what we drive. Yeah, we'll offset each other. Exactly, they offset each other. Yeah. But, so I just wanted to go through quick and kind of check out some of the questions we got before we wrap things up here. Um, we had Caleb Truslow. He asked a question here. It is, what's the ballpark price for a decent Gallardo with good clutch brakes, etc.? So kind of one that sounds like been properly maintained is the question. Yep, that's a great question. I've had a lot of people ask me that because the Gallardo is a great entry-level sports car, exotic car. Um, I would figure about 80 grand. 80 grand would get you a good, good solid car. Uh, we also had Adam ask, uh, what other cars have you seen fall in value that seem more attainable with a lower budget? I think this was around the time we were talking about the R8 um, and GTR. Anything else you're seeing kind of fall down like that or even maybe more expensive cars that have fallen into lower price ranges? Um, a C7Z06 are really, really fun cars. Um, and you can get those in the 50s even. I've seen some high 40s. That's a good deal for those. Vipers, I think Vipers are really good buys. Like um, the Gen 5 stuff or earlier? Or? Earlier, uh, Gen 2 to Gen 5, anyone in between. Um, I think it's a weird market to sell them. And when they somebody has them for sale, they'll want them sold. But those are really cool cars. Um, I, I feel like the values are dropping right now, but they don't make them anymore. And at, you know, looking at historical progress, cars that don't made anymore typically go up in value. So I think that would be a really good car to buy as well. For sure. Um, anything else? Uh, the Porsche market, the, the, 99, the 997 Turbo, so 2007 to 2009, that would be a 997.1. Uh, those are somewhat dropping in price. You can get those for about 60 to 70 for a good clean and manual option. 
Um, tons of fun to drive. Uh, if it progresses like the 996 chassis turbo, uh, they should go up in value as well. Um, AJ, where, where would people, if somebody has other questions for you or maybe something they couldn't think of now but want to follow up with you later on, where can they get in touch with you at? Yeah, sure. Um, AJ's Garage on Facebook. Uh, hit the messenger thing. You can message me there. Yeah. Um, I'm always on the internet. I'm always on my phone. So I always get back to people. Something I strive to do is never leave people kind of hanging. Um, otherwise, uh, at Eurocharge, I'm here pretty much all week. Um, so if you're ever in the area in St. Louis Park, definitely swing by. I'd love to talk to you. I always yeah. uh, always love to take Except time. Right now, we're sheltered in place. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Please <laughs> guess I have a I have a, a, distance. a glass lobby. I'll talk to you on one side of the glass. You can be on the other side. Yep. So yeah, but Facebook uh, Facebook's typically the way I I uh, communicate with people and I advertise all my cars on there. Yeah. Um, AJ's Garage LLC .com is my website. Um, there is a inquire thing um, there that you can you can click into and uh, message me. Yeah. So AJ's Garage is more of the buy sell consign yep. um and then euro is bring it here for service work maintenance um modifications and i mean we do everything oil change up to like i said the t twin turbo hurricane right. um, we've done tons of motor swaps we've done tons of custom projects uh window tint clear bra uh detailing sure it's a one-stop shop that's that's kind of my whole goal is to have it a one-stop shop so we can do everything here for you perfect all right, well, if you guys want to check up on us next week, we'll have another live going on, same time, same place. So uh, Wednesday, uh, I can't remember exactly who the guest is for next week, but if you guys follow us on Facebook or Instagram, you guys will hear it there first. So um, we'll see you guys next week. Otherwise, thanks again, AJ, Dalen. We'll talk to you later, man. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. And there you have it, guys. Hopefully you learned something that you can either take with you into the garage or bring with you to the track. Tune in next week for another episode. We'll see you then. Is that good enough? Yeah. Okay. Yeah.